Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Well, good morning, church. My name is Aaron Elmore. I'm the lead pastor here. And today I just really want to share with you a kernel of truth. It had to be done. All right. Don't worry. I'm not going to wear that the whole time. Just put that right there. It's so good to have Paul here from Centerville. It is a joy to partner with this incredible ministry. I'm hoping, Lord willing, to go there next summer. So I hope that you will come with me, that we will fill that trip up. We will fill up all of our trips this year. We are excited to be going back out uh, for the world, to the world. And we're going to be announcing these trips in the upcoming weeks. We also have a special project that we're going to be undertaking with Centerwell, but I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm just going to tell you next week. We're going to tell you about it leading up to the holidays. So there's your teaser. You have to come back next week, uh, but it's going to be exciting. So. so I could share any news with you. And likely with this many people in the room, it would receive a mixed reaction. It doesn't matter what the news is, what it's about. You're going to get a mixed reaction. So let's take, for example, imagine you're living in a small town in the plains of America, as some of you grew up in small towns, and you hear the announcement that Walmart is coming to town. First big box store. So if you are the owner or you work for one of the three local grocery stores, you might not hear that as good news. Or even if you're a bank that works with them or you're the high school football team that's sponsored by the grocery store, you might not think it's good news. But let's say, for example, you're a single mother with three children and the idea of convenient shopping with lower prices sounds like great news to you, right? Same news, same announcement hits people differently. And my point is that news is often received with a mixed reaction, isn't it? As we continue this morning in this series for the world out of the book of Acts, we observe a theme which forms a pattern in the New Testament. And that is that as the church goes out and shares good news with the world, they also receive a mixed reaction. And that's true even today. As we are for the world and we bring good news to the world, we will be received with a mixed reaction. It's been said before that people's feelings toward Jesus could be summarized by three different C's, which is why I like it. They say people will either be committed they will be cautious or they will be curious. I'd like to add a fourth one to that because of today's reading especially, which is that some people, not most, but some will become contentious at the message of Jesus and the implications of following him. And in fact, there's a fifth C that I just realized this morning as I was praying and thinking about this message. Some people could care less. It's true. They're indifferent. They don't care one way or the other. So people receive the good news about Jesus with different reactions. They're committed. They're cautious. They're curious. They're contentious. They could care less. And we see a variety of these different reactions as we read this morning from the book of Acts. So let's dive in. First, we see that there were those who were curious. 
As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So some people were curious. They basically said, hey, Paul, Barnabas, we we liked your message last week. We'd like to hear more. Tell me more. That was their response. Isn't that one of your favorite responses in life? Everybody loves to hear the phrase, tell me more. There's this podcast that I listen to sometimes, this uh, pastor, he's, he's a lawyer, he's, a, he's, a, he's in Canada, he's a pastor, and he's just really good at interviewing people and drawing things out of them. And he, so many times at just the right moment and just the right way, someone will be talking about something they're passionate about, and he says, tell me more about that. This is just a free kind of freebie I throw in there. The phrase, tell me more, the idea, the posture of tell me more, this is important in relationship building. And being for the world is a relational endeavor. We're not just sharing information with people. We're sharing our lives. We're sharing good news, which shapes all about who we are. And so the phrase, tell me more, is one we could do more often. Right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I say that as a person of many words who likes to talk. We would all do well to say more often, tell me more, to show curiosity. And so they do. They say, Paul, tell us more about this. And sometimes people ask us to tell them more and we have to steward this carefully. A number of years ago, I was on a mission trip in rural Appalachia. We were in Kentucky. It was a community that we went to year after year. And this one particular year, we were helping a family in, in great need, trying to make their house better. The problem is we had a lot of unskilled laborers and middle schoolers. And I, I don't know if you know this about me, I'm not very good at building things or fixing things. I can barely replace my own windshield wipers. Okay, it's that bad. You think I'm joking? And so on these mission trips, what, what do I do? I'm not leading the construction project. I'm just talking with the families, keeping middle schoolers in line. And one of the things I enjoyed doing was going around taking pictures at the different work sites. Uh, and so throughout this week, I had been sharing with this family. It became apparent that they were not committed believers. They did not had not surrendered their heart and life to Jesus. They'd heard about it, but it, they didn't go to church. It just wasn't something that was part of their family. And so we've been sharing the gospel with them, and they showed curiosity. And so we began sharing more with them. And, and of course, the, the middle schoolers were surrounding them, and their, and their son, I believe, was about nine years old, little Cody. And they were and our kids began praying for this family. We really wanted them to know Jesus. And so one day I left the site. I made the rounds to some of the other work projects, taking pictures. Several hours later, I came back, and the students were so excited. They came running out to the van. And I was like, guys, what, what, what's, the big, what's the big deal? Why are you so excited? And they were excited because this family decided they wanted to commit their life to Jesus. It's not always how the story ends, but sometimes it does. They had moved from curiosity to commitment, And of course, for me, a little bit, because I had been sharing with this family, there was a little bit of humanity in there that wished that I had been the one who'd been able to pray with them, you know, to receive Christ. And then that's when, that's a lesson, right? Some plant seeds, some water, some reap the harvest. It's not about us. It's about God and it's his gospel. And he brings that timing. But sometimes people's curiosity will lead them to commitment. And we see that in the story here. The second reaction beyond curiosity is commitment. Verse 43. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So Luke reports that after the meeting, there were people who 
physically followed them, began hearing their teaching, almost like the disciples of Jesus. They went with them to the place that they were staying, and they said, tell us more. And we learned by the end of the passage that some of those people became believers and began a movement that spread out into the region. In fact, we see in verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. So rather than just being a few people, very quickly we have this explosive movement of the gospel among Gentiles. We're going to see in just a moment here that 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 is a a key part of this passage, this movement from the Jews to the Gentiles, and it was all part of God's plan. So some respond with curiosity, others respond with commitment, and yet still others, their response is that they become contentious. They reject the message. They reject the messengers. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict Paul what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. But the Jewish, the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And eventually, they expelled them from their region. They ran them out of town. Isn't it sad that the people who knew the Bible the best were the ones who were most hostile to the message? Did you notice that? Sometimes the people who know the Bible the best are the ones who missed the point. When they didn't have an argument against them, they attacked the messengers, their credibility, they heaped abuse on them. Perhaps they are jealous because they have won a bigger crowd or because of the converts that they are receiving into this new gospel movement. The leaders are upset. It says they were filled with jealousy, which could be translated zeal. Right, I talked last week about three things the church needs to take the gospel. We need zeal, we need power, and we need to trust in God. Sometimes our zeal for the gospel can be matched with those who are zealously against it. And that's what they ran into here. Notice the progression. It begins with jealousy, a feeling of emotion. That turned into contradiction. That led to personal attacks and abuse, and eventually a coordinated attack of persecution against them. Finally, They run them out of town. You know, rejection is one of the most difficult human experiences, isn't it? When we're rejected, we cannot help but take it personal. Because it is personal. We're we're hardwired spiritually and biologically for acceptance and belonging and community. That's the way God made us. And so when we're rejected from anything, it's hard. It's difficult. There's nothing easy about that experience. It could be that you didn't make a team that you tried out for. You didn't get the part in some play. You were not chosen for some position. You didn't get the job. You didn't get into the college that you hoped for. It could be relational rejection. You were rejected by someone in your life, a friend or a family member. Rejection is always hard. It always hurts. It always leaves wounds. Now, people can reject you for all kinds of reasons. Specifically, we're here, we're talking about the rejection that can come as a result of our faith because of the name of Jesus, because we believe in Jesus. And often it's not just the belief that we have in Jesus, but it's when we say that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That rubs up against people when we make claims like that. Or because of some of the commitments that we have as a result of following Jesus. 
People may push back against that. They may reject us. Your faith may cause division among family and friends. In fact, you can even experience rejection from someone who is part of the broader Christian community, but because you're not in the same lane as them, they think that they're worried about your soul. Even though you're a Christian and they're a Christian, but they're drawing the lines too tight. Any of you experience that? So here's the hard challenge. There will likely be people in our life that because of our faith and the accompanying beliefs and convictions will misunderstand us, will misrepresent us. They will make false assumptions about you because of some label. They may call you a fool. They may call you an extremist. They may exclude you or push you away or contradict you or outright reject you. And in fact, some may experience what we could call even persecution. And it's not fun. And it's not encouraging. It's hard. Full stop. And yet, when we experience that, we have the words of Jesus, who spoke specifically to that and told us that it will happen. Not all the time. We don't have to go looking for it. Jesus doesn't say, go out and pick fights with people who disagree with you. But he says, sometimes people will reject you because of me. So here's a couple of samples. He said many things about this topic. Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things evil against you because of me. And then he says, Rejoice and be glad. That's hard. Not just tolerate it. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in another place, Jesus said this in John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Again, there's that mixed reaction, mixed response. And Jesus says, they will treat you like this because of my name, for they do not know the one who has sent me. Jesus experienced all kinds of reactions from people during his earthly life and ministry. In each instance, his response is to continue his God-given mission. To dig deep into the joy of the Lord and knowing the Father's mission for him. Rejection did not change his plans because he had made up his mind to trust God regardless of the circumstances. And this is what God is calling us to as well. We have to have conviction. And that's what the disciples had. Here, Paul and Barnabas, or apostles really in this context. Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. And since you rejected it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So in summary, here's their response to this contentiousness and this rejection. They spoke the word boldly and fearlessly. They stayed committed to the truth. Second, they affirmed our priority to preach to the Jews. They said, you are who God has sent us to. Remember last week, this gospel, it's for you. For you, whoever you are. But we were, we were commanded by God to bring it first to those 
who should have gotten it, who should have understood it. But some of you, not all, but some of you have rejected it. And now it is within God's will that we should broaden our audience and focus also on preaching to the Gentiles. So that emphasis in the New Testament is going to continue. They're going to preach to the Jew, but they're going to preach to the Gentiles and they're going to remain committed to the mission that God has for them. In this, they fulfilled the missional mandate foretold by Isaiah, that they would be a light to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, let's not miss this. Acts thirteen forty six records a massive missiological shift. The spread of the gospel to the Gentiles has now formally begun. That's what happens here in Acts 13. We know that it had already begun to happen in a variety of different contexts, but formerly on paper, as the story is being told by Luke the historian, this is sort of the big moment when the gospel is breaking out to the Gentiles. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that happened. That I've been swept up into this moment, this movement of the gospel around the world. And so while some of the Jews in town reject the gospel, the Gentiles respond with great joy. And then the passage ends with this challenge to move onward. Verse 51, it says, So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This opposition, this persecution forces them to leave the area. And so it says they shook the dust off their feet. Now, before you think that means they're being hateful and rude, let's recall that Jesus actually commanded his disciples to do the same thing. It was a kind of way of saying, okay, we're moving on. We're done here. Not to be mean, but to say, all right, we have given you your chance. God doesn't give up on you, but we have to move on with this mission. And the narrative closes by telling us the disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? How can we be filled with joy? Because we know, it's not written in the text, but we know the disciples experienced the humanity of that rejection. They weren't excited that people had rejected the gospel. They weren't excited that people had falsely accused them and persecuted them. We're not, we're not gluttons for punishment, okay? We're not aesthetic, ascetics. We, we, we don't love bad things to happen to us, okay? So what's happening here is that they are finding joy in knowing that despite that persecution and opposition, the church is growing. And in fact, sometimes not just in spite of, but it's because of the opposition and the pushback that the church actually grows, Sometimes in numbers, sometimes in depth. Sometimes the very thing that we need as disciples of Jesus is to experience challenge, is to experience hard things. Again, we don't have to go looking for it. Life brings it to us in heavy measure. But often, you know this, often you grow the most through hard things. And historically, we can look back and we can see that the church has grown many times, not always, but many times during the hardest times of persecution and pushback. And sometimes I wonder if maybe that isn't exactly what we need as a church in our context. Maybe the pushback and the challenge and the opposition and the contentiousness will actually help us to grasp the gospel in a deeper and richer way and will help us to share it more effectively with others 
Maybe it will shake us out of the complacency that we can find ourselves in. Something I think as modern Christians, we find it difficult to understand this concept of joy and hardship because we live such good lives by comparison to many people historically and today. We don't really understand what that means. And I think that we also have a little bit of prosperity gospel mixed in with our theology. You know, we don't completely buy the whole idea that, you know, God only wants good for things for you and God only wants to bless you. And But yet we think that, you know, if I just follow the rules and do the right things, that God's going to give me a good, comfortable life, right? And we process life through that. And so we always think that it's like the open door, closed door theology, that, you know, if a door opens, then that's the right one. It's the one I'm supposed to go through. And if God closes the door, it's not the right one. So then we begin filtering our experiences. And when life gets hard, sometimes we think, okay, what's wrong here? But it's not always that simple. That's why we need biblical wisdom. Because sometimes when things are getting hard and challenging, that's exactly where God wants us to be. Right? You, don't, you, don't go on a, you don't go on a mission trip or you don't get involved in serving in uncomfortable settings that you're not used to because it's the comfortable thing to do. It's because you know it's good to challenge yourself and to put you in an opportunity where all you got is to say, Lord, I, I've, I have nothing. <laughs> Help me to know what to do in this situation. Sometimes the discomfort is what we need. So what do we do with this? There are a lot of things in life that we can control. There are some that we can't control at all. And as it comes to our faith and our mission, I think we can focus on a few areas. Areas that we can plan, prepare for what is to come, where we can deepen our foundation, we can develop some adaptive skills for sharing the gospel. So the first one is expectations. I'm sorry, convictions. We have to have convictions. We have to maintain those. We have to know what we believe. We have to know why we believe them. So that when that pushback comes, we'll be able, yes, to listen, to think deeply, to think critically, to have convictions. So that we don't just change our mind because someone presents one challenge to us that we haven't considered. We have to have convictions. The second thing is what we've been talking about today. We have to have the right expectations. That as we share Christ with others, some people will welcome that with curiosity and interest. Some people, that's the good news, some people will come to faith as we share it with them and they will come to be disciples of Jesus. But some people will be indifferent and some people will even be contentious and they will reject us or it will change our relationship because our faith is central. It's so important to who we are. So we have to have realistic expectations. Not everyone will welcome the good news as good news. Sometimes it's like Walmart comes to town and you think it should be a good thing, but for some people, they don't receive it as welcome news. Our expectations have to be set. The third thing is our posture. We can control our posture. Now, the Bible doesn't say, blessed are you when people have a hard time with you and they reject you and they make accusations about you and it's because you're actually a jerk and that's why people reject you, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a posture of humility, of service. And even though we adopt that posture, there will still be people who don't get it, who don't understand, who don't want to have anything to do with it. We want to have a posture of consistency, of faithful presence in people's lives. Because finally, we can't control other people's reactions, but we can control ours. And when people push back or they become contentious, we can get defensive. 
Or we can become arrogant that, well, we know it. You need to get this. We can adopt a a lot of different postures in our reaction that are unhelpful. But our reaction should be faithfully, love, steady presence, listening, sharing our story. So that we can be a consistent presence in people's lives. We can share the good news. But Acts 13 tells us it's going to be a mixed reaction. That's the most important takeaway. And I think we know this, but it's helpful to remind ourselves and to have that framework, to have clear expectations that not everyone is going to believe. In fact, there's, there's this interesting note, and you can take it in a lot of different ways, but there's this little piece in here that Luke says where he says, all of those who were appointed for life believed. What is he saying? He's saying that God's in control of this. It's not up to you. We're the ones who share. We've been called by him to be used by him, but he is the one who is in charge of these matters. And so we share and we trust the results to him. It's not on you, it's on him. But it's on us. We get to be used by him to share this good news and trust the results into God's hands. We join me as we pray about this. Father, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for your son. And we thank you for the privilege of being called into your family and the privilege of sharing what it means to be known by you and loved by you. God, would you give us a posture of humility? Lord, would you give us the grace to be able to handle the rejection that may come, the relationships that may be affected by differences of our understanding of faith? God, make us into a gracious people, a people of conviction, but a people of grace. And God, would you help us to have a compelling and and winsome way of sharing your good news with others and to trust the result. Lord, I pray right now that, that through this church, Kirk of the Hills, and through people, these people in this room, all the people that are part of our church, that in the days ahead we would see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, that you would be so gracious as to use us to share your good news with the world. God, we pray and we ask, and we trust the results to you. Lord, we ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen.